This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting The Report. A riveting film that critics are raving is thrilling with razor-sharp dialogue and a perfect cast. Starring Adam Driver, Annette Bening, and John Hamm. In theaters November 15th. We gotta start thinking like these Wall Street guys. You see what they did to this country? They stole from everybody. Hardworking people lost everything. And not one of these douchebags went to jail. Not one. Is that fair? You ever think about when they come into the club? That's stolen money. That's what's paying for their blowjobs. The firefighters' retirement fund. For LA Times Studios, I'm Mark Olson, and this is The Real, where culture and entertainment meet. Today, I'm coming to you from the Toronto International Film Festival, and I'm joined by writer-director Lorene Scafaria. Lorene, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me. And you're here with the movie Hustlers, uh, based on a true story, starring Jennifer Lopez and Constance Wu. And now we're having this conversation the day after the world premiere of the movie, what was that experience like for you? What was what was that screening like? Oh, it was uh, incredible. It was obviously at a gigantic theater here at TIFF. I love screening movies here, so this is my favorite film festival to premiere. But I just finished the movie last week, so it's a little surreal to be putting it out in the world and to be talking about it already. Tell me, what is that like? How does it feel to kind of like barely finish the movie? Um, yeah, I mean, it was always a really fast-paced schedule uh, from green light to release date. It's eight months, so it was a lot. <laughs> but fortunately, um, I had years of, of let's say, soft prep before that to prepare myself. So I'm very grateful for an incredible crew and the producers and obviously STX because they... I guess, really wanted to put it out into the world. And so here we go. <laughs> and now the movie has this incredible energy and momentum to it. Do you feel like in some way the schedule you ended up making it on actually impacted the movie in some way? Yeah, I remember saying at the very beginning, so years ago, I remember saying, I think the only way this movie gets made right is if it gets made fast. And so even though there were years before say, beginning of, of really making this movie, it felt like that was the right thing to do. It was it was right to make this movie fast. It certainly has a sense of urgency. I feel like it wants to be seen right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I just, I just wanted to deliver on that schedule. But it was a 29-day shoot, which for a script that was fairly ambitious and took us to so many different locations and spanned time and money and <laughs> wardrobe, you know, it was, it was a lot. And then when you say that you feel like it was a movie that wanted to be seen now, what do you, what do you mean by that? Um, I feel like there's a feeling in the air. You know, I always think writing is an exercise in empathy. So I, I think we could use a little bit more empathy for other people and probably ourselves. And so I was interested in talking about themes that feel um, pertinent, obviously, but themes that I feel like I've had rattling around in my head for years are sort of broken value system women being valued for their beauty and their bodies, whether that's for sex or motherhood, and men being valued for money, success, and power. I can't help but think that that value system uh, seeps into all other areas of our of our culture. And now for you, what is the story of the movie? I guess like what to you is sort of the elevator pitch version of what the story is. Well, it's funny because I, I guess the elevator pitch is really about these strippers and former strippers who found a way after the financial crisis to turn the tables on their Wall Street clients. But 
to me, it's a friendship story. It's it's about loneliness and isolation until you find that sisterhood and friendship. It's about a world that I think we don't often see a certain way or think about a certain way. You know, we've certainly seen scenes and strip clubs and everything <laughs> ever, um, but so few being told from their perspective. And yeah, I mean, for me, it's about that value system, all of us figuring out how to navigate it. The rules of the club are kind of the rules of the world. So even though this world may seem foreign to a lot of people, to me, it seemed very relatable and very much in keeping with the themes of uh, men and women in general. And now you were initially brought onto the project as a writer to adapt the magazine article it's based on. Mm-hmm. And you really wanted to direct this. What was it that kind of made you want to like not just write the script, but direct the movie too? Well, that's just what I am. You know, I'm I, I'm a writer-director. I, I like writing things I don't direct. I like directing things I don't write as well. But at heart, I really like taking things from the very beginning to the end. And so for me, I... It was an assignment. Um, Adam McKay's a producer. I wasn't sure if he was going to want to direct. There were just so many things that made me think, I, I just need to write this, and maybe I'll get to fight my way into the director's chair after that. And so I put a lot into the script in that way, certainly some visual storytelling and song cues and score pieces. All of that was written into the script in the hopes that people would see that I was trying to direct on the page and that hopefully I could have a shot at it. Obviously, it worked Ultimately, but do you feel like the way that you were trying to signal your interest, even in that those initial stages of writing, did it work? Did you feel like that like got you the attention to be the director that you wanted? Not out of the gate. Uh, it was a really long process to get the directing job, actually. Um, uh, they went to Scorsese first, which I was not <laughs> upset about, to be honest. I thought that was all right. And then once they got past that... <laughs> There was a, certainly a long list between me and Scorsese, but, um, you know, I felt like I had something to prove. It's not an easy leap, I assume, from the director of The Meddler comes <laughs> Hustlers, but I started editing a lot of footage of strippers and strip teases to Chopin, which is the sort of score of the film. And I put together the sizzle reel with my editor, Kayla Emter, who also edited The Meddler, that became kind of a proof of concept and was something to prove that, you know, I might have that visual storytelling after all. When did you actually, like, get the job? It was, like, November 2017. Um, and then it was a process of another year of trying to get it off the ground, really get it greenlit. It fell apart at a studio. It had a couple of different starts and stops in a way. So once we got to STX, I Still felt like I wanted to work on the script because there we were with new partners. I um, was a little afraid of commitment, so I I did kind of two page one rewrites of the script and would hand them in. And then out of that second incarnation came a lot of scenes that are in the final film. But it wasn't until that third version of the script that it really took shape. And that's what I handed in in mid-January. And so 24 hours later when they greenlit it, I was really surprised. <laughs> And now in those earlier versions of the movie, you already had the cast assembled? No, uh, just Jennifer. Um, Jennifer was the first person on board. I don't think about actors when I'm writing, but as soon as I opened it back up, I was like, oh, (laughs) Ramona's Jennifer Lopez, obviously. So I immediately went to her producing partner, Elaine Goldsmith-Thomas, who fortunately loved it and gave it to Jennifer, who loved it. and, And we met and talked about all the themes that we were really excited about. And 
I was so excited to see her in a kind of dangerous role. I think she's so incredible, obviously, and has such chops, but I felt like I hadn't really seen her in something like this, maybe ever, but in a long time. And so she was the first person assembled. And of course, she makes it a lot easier to get a lot of other cast excited about the film. So once we found our new partners and had Constance on board, I I met with her and fell in love with her and thought the two of them would be so incredible together. So it was really the two of them. And then we built the world around them. Well, I have to say with Jennifer's performance in the movie, it brings together these sort of different sides of her persona, that there's this sort of warmer, more approachable side to her. Then there's there's slightly more imperious side to mm-hmm. who she is. And I'd never seen her in something that seemed to bring those things together the way that this role does in Hustlers. Yeah, I mean, Ramona really requires an actor who actually has all of those qualities. And Jennifer, you're right. I mean, she's so warm and maternal and she's so cool and sexy and smart and tough. And so, yeah, I was really excited to explore all of those qualities that she has. And she was the natural ringleader of the group and everybody did rally around her. And so that vibe, that big sister, little sister, that mama bear vibe was really there on set. And now we actually have a clip from the movie. This is a scene early in the film when Ramona, played by Jennifer Lopez, and Destiny, played by Constance Wu, are sort of first meeting. And so we're going to listen to that now. I was a centerfold once. No way. Mm. 93. No way. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Back when Stevie Wonder came in. What the Stevie Wonder come in the club for? <laughs> Casey had him in the champagne room. Swears to God he isn't blind. Wow. <laughs> How come you're so good? I see you with every single kind of guy, and I don't know. It's like you have them all figured out. I guess I'm just a people person. And now that scene in the movie, first of all, it begins with one of the most astonishing images I've seen in a motion picture in quite some time, Jennifer Lopez languidly lounging on a rooftop in little more than a fur coat smoking a cigarette. Where does an, an idea for an image like that come from? That was the first scene I wrote, the scene of the two of them meeting on the roof. It started because Destiny has all this physical contact with men and strangers and doesn't have relationships with these other women that she works with. She's obviously close with her grandmother, but her grandmother doesn't even know what she does for a living. So... In a way, she's lacking that intimacy, and I love the idea that she would walk onto this roof, (laughs) meet this uh, superstar in her mind, and certainly in our minds when we see Jennifer Lopez, but when she's invited into Jennifer Lopez's fur coat, that it's like Mama Bear just got her baby bear, you know? It's like a little kangaroo sticking out. It's like, I just wanted those feelings of like, oh, right, you were missing this. You were missing that touch. You were missing that female friendship that really could just be as strong as sisters. And so I wanted that for Destiny. And I felt like if Ramona invites Destiny into her fur coat, and certainly if Jennifer Lopez invited any of us, I think, into her fur coat, we'd probably do whatever she said next. (laughs) And now I'm almost not entirely sure how to even put this as a question, but when Jennifer Lopez is introduced in the movie, she does a dance that is sexy, it's powerful, it's just Stunning. And what did it mean to you to have that dance come where it does structurally in the story? I found that it gave 
Jennifer's character this amazing momentum that really she carries throughout the whole rest of the story. And I appreciated that in some ways that dance, there was so much character building that was within that dance itself. Like for you, what was that moment like? Yeah, I mean, well, it was my birthday, so that was wild to film that on my birthday. I'll never have a party like that again. But there's a theme of control running through the film. And so for me, that theme dictated where the camera went. And I think in a scene like that, obviously, it's about Destiny seeing Ramona for the first time. So certainly in Destiny's point of view, but it's also Ramona's point of view being on that stage and the feeling of that attention and that spotlight. And like Jennifer was, she was so nervous going in, but afterwards just felt such power. And so the control theme is really attached to the camera. And so I think in a scene like that, Ramona determined where the camera went. We're seeing exactly what she wants us to see. We treated it like a stunt, of course, and had as many cameras going as we could, but where we placed them and what we were highlighting and the lighting itself and how we wanted to shoot her in this 50-foot woman style. And of course, it's just Jennifer doing a dance that we had only seen it in its entirety two weeks before we shot it. So it was, I think in the script, it said uh, Ramona does one final flourish. (laughs) But when you get Jennifer Lopez attached, it's not going to be a final flourish. So we got to step it out as much as possible and really give Ramona and Jennifer that entrance. And now we're going to take a short break. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Studios, presenting Honey Boy, an emotional coming-of-age film that critics are calling a cinematic act of courage and nothing short of miraculous, starring Shia LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges, and Noah Jupe, in theaters November 8th. But now, you mentioned how, at one point in the development process, the movie fell apart, that you sort of lost your financing and a production partner. In some ways, that's where this story gets really interesting, at least from Mm. the perspective of where we are now. Can you talk about what it felt like in that moment to have put all that work into this project, to have fought to be able to direct it, and then to feel like it's suddenly out of your grasp. What was that like? It was so disheartening, to be honest. I took it personally because it didn't just feel like it was a movie that was falling apart or it was my movie or a movie that I'd worked on. It felt like the stigma attached to strippers in general and sex workers in general was sort of attached to that project that maybe people weren't just judging where they ended up, but where they started from. All movies are hard to get made, obviously, certainly hard now. I think movies about women doing bad things are really hard to get made. But certainly this is not a black and white story. It touches on a lot of themes that might make people uncomfortable. And so I think we also ask a lot of female characters the way that we do of women. We expect to uh, us to be perfect. And so I think the same applies to the female characters. So I was taking it personally for them, to be honest. I thought well, what is it about this that isn't a film? Is it that they're strippers? Is it that they turn to crime? Is it that the men aren't bad enough? Is it that the women aren't good enough? It was all wrapped up in it. And so I'm not sure what ultimately took it down or lifted it back up or anything, but I don't know if you'd ask, is Henry Hill a good enough father? (laughs) And I, you know, there were questions about these characters and I thought to myself, well, aren't they providing? Aren't they trying to give their kids better life than they had? And is that just because we're not used to seeing women earning and providing? We're used to seeing them spending and shopping in films. And so there was a lot of interest after that, but it was a lot of people who wanted me to change elements of the script, water down the crime element, or add to what the guys do. And I thought, well, they 
took down the global economy. <laughs> um, there's certainly a lot of microaggressions that these women face at their jobs. And so there's bad behavior in strip clubs, obviously. But I just thought I didn't need to embellish too much of that. I wanted to stay true to what really happened and then just try to paint a fuller picture of these women's lives and, and their jobs and, and, and certainly where they started. Well, I can only imagine that in trying to tell this story of women hustling in the face of a system that seems set up against them, for you, you're suddenly put in this position of being a woman hustling to set something up in the face of the system that seems set up against you. Did you feel like you were drawing inspiration from the women in the story itself? Well, I just related to them so early, to be honest. I mean, I felt misunderstood in life. That's a common feeling that I've had. So I, I felt I like I related to them in a way. I danced for the money for a long time. And I'm not really reminded that I'm a woman until I'm looking for financing, to be honest. It's not when I'm on a set that I feel that way. It's really when I walk into a, a boardroom. And so, yeah, I mean, I drew inspiration from all women, actually, who I think are hustling to get by and to, again, navigate this broken system. But yeah, I grew up with these girls. I grew up with these guys. I grew up in New Jersey. I worked in a boiler room when I was 17, answering phones and surrounded by guys who were selling bad stocks to old people. My friends, few of them were strippers after high school. A few were strippers after college. So I never really judged this as a job, but I certainly felt more kinship to them once I started going down the road with this process and feeling like, well, what's the difference? You know, as part of my pitch when selling this proof of concept was to show a collage of images from all these movies from nine to five and first wives club and mean girls and bridesmaids and mix it up with women in the locker room and hanging out together at work and strippers working the floor together. And so that was just to say, you know, what's the difference? Now, you mentioned the character of Henry Hill from the movie Goodfellas. That's one that's already been mentioned by some people as something that seems related to the movie. Some people have been talking about the movie Widows that just came out last mm. year. For you, both in writing and in directing the film, did you have any movies that were influences or points of reference for you? Well, gangster movies certainly were a point of reference for me. And Scorsese, obviously, from Casino, Goodfellas, also Raging Bull because it was a sports movie. We were thinking of them as fighters and boxers. Ramona kind of has a Raging Bull entrance, <laughs> but also friendship stories, stories like, I mean, The Master. I mean, you know, I'm embarrassed to say things like Goodfellas and The Master, to be honest, but The Master was one of those films that this friendship between these two people that it's so much deeper than what you might have with your spouse or your parents or your children. It's that friendship that completely bail you out of trouble, but also get you into trouble. So I like those stories, those power dynamics and those codependent kind of relationships. That's always something I've been drawn to. And now the world of the strip club in the movie, we've obviously seen many strip clubs in many movies, and this one feels very different. For you, what was the distinction? Like, what did you want to show and how did you show it to make the world of the club here feel so different? I wanted to show it like a job, like anything else. I also wanted to show them as athletes. That's why I thought a lot about sports films, because it could be a solo sport or a team sport. There's certainly safety in numbers. The dancers do work together in groups and in teams. And there's a camaraderie in the locker room that really does remind me of a team sport. So 
I just thought a lot about those films. I thought about seeing them walk out onto the floor like football players leaving the tunnel. It was always with those vibes in mind, those like fighter vibes, those sports vibes. And then when you actually watch the pole work and certainly what Jennifer does and what she pulled off and with so much training, but what these girls do nightly, the athleticism involved, it's remarkable. It takes so much strength, physical strength. And I don't think we often think of women as physical workers or athletes or that they're using their bodies in the same exact way that an athlete might use their bodies. And so I just wanted to highlight the athleticism of it, the strength of it, the power in it. Obviously, there are good nights and bad nights. There are pros and cons. It's not easy money, even if sometimes it's fast money. The system of the club is like a salon where a hairdresser rents a chair and and has to bring in clients. And so there are nights that these women can go home with minimum wage. And so I wanted to show it truly from their perspective, but shed some light on this world that I feel like, yeah, it's it's been window dressing most of the time. And it was funny because I watched a movie recently and it was a scene in a strip club and it was focused on the men sitting at the table talking. And I had been editing for so long. I was going, why are we here? Why is the camera pointed at these guys? I don't understand. I had just gotten so used to finally seeing it from the other side. And now the dynamic between Ramona and Destiny, it becomes such a complicated one where they are friends, they are business partners, there's something maternal there, they are sisters in a way. In depicting a relationship like that and seeing them go through everything that they do, for you at the end of the movie and with where the story leaves both of those characters, what do you want for audiences to take away from that at the end of the movie? Oh, gosh. I mean, sisters fight and female friendships run really deep. And so, I don't know, in a way they're never over. In a way, we're all, I'm nostalgic for old friends. There are certain friends I've lost touch with that I think about them all the time. And it's so hard to pick up the phone sometimes and call them. And so, I don't know, maybe if people leave the theater thinking about some people that they had in their lives and their past. I know for me, when I read the article, I was so moved, fascinated, curious about these two women who had this friendship and formed this business and then were interviewed separately about it. And so for me, that's where the structure always started. It was always about the journalist and interviewing these characters and the discovery of what happened to this friendship and the unfolding of that and how it resolves itself or doesn't. I think that's what that kind of alluring friendship can be. You know, if you're a destiny and you have a Ramona in your life, it's like the sun is shining on you. It gets very cold (laughs) when they're not around anymore. The movie is Hustlers. Lorreen Scafaria, thank you so much for being here to talk about it today. Thank you so much. And so for LA Times Studios and The Real, I'm Mark Olson. Thanks for listening. Thanks to our producer, Katie Cooper, our engineer, Mike Heflin, and LA Times Studios. Listen to The Real on Apple, Spotify at latimes.com slash podcasts or wherever you get your audio. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review.